as you can see on the board, our text is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, I'm reading from the American Standard Bible. It says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making mo most of your time because the days are evil. And I, I want to notice the first word in that phrase in verse 15 where Paul begins with the word, therefore. And that's an important word when you're studying the Bible. It's a word that's nudging us to look backward before we move forward because there's something that has been said that is related to what's going to be said. So our text today is right in the middle of Ephesians and what that first word is telling us is if we really want to understand what he's about to say, we're going to have to look backward to, and see what he's already said. He's going to talk to us in verse 15 about our walk. He says, be careful how you walk. And that's not the first time he's talked to us about that. And so to be sure we know where he's going and before we look at verse 15, let's back up and look at what he's already said about our walk. So let's back up to chapter 2 in Ephesians because it's in chapter 2 of Ephesians that the, he first mentions our walk. And I'm going to pick up in verse 4 and read several verses only so that we'll have a sense of what the context is and what he's talking about when he mentions our walk. Beginning in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So are you getting what he's talking about? You know, this is big stuff. This is the big stuff. This is the stuff. Salvation through Jesus Christ. This right here is the heart of the Bible story. Verse 6, And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Do you see what he's talking about? How God through Christ has provided salvation for us. In fact, if we could just go back and study chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, the, the, the first half of this book really talks about the great message that God has rescued us through Jesus Christ. And now verse 10, uh, we haven't gotten to the walk part yet. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There it is, the first time that He mentions our walk. You see, God pulls, out, pulls us out of the mire of sin, and through the blood of His Son, He cleans us up. But we have to understand that he's not done. When he's finished that work of redemption and salvation, then there's still something that he has in mind for us. He has these works, these things that he wants us to do, that he wants us to walk in. God has a plan for your life and for mine. After he saves us, he wants us to walk in a certain way. Here in Ephesians 2, he only hints hints to where he's going. In chapter 4, if you want to turn there in the book of Ephesians, he makes an important transition there, I think. In fact, this book really 
splits nicely into, into two pieces. Chapter one, 1, 2, and 3 are all about the big message of salvation through Christ. But what he will say beginning in chapter 4 is that since Christ has done all of that, then there's something that we have to do. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 are about what God has done. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are about what we should do. And this is how he introduces that in chapter 4. It says in verse 1, I, therefore, there's that word again that makes us think backward about what he's just said. Therefore, because of what God has done for me through Christ, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. So because of what God has done for us through Jesus, then I should go out and live the kind of life that I ought to live. There's a kind of walk that I ought to walk. And the interesting thing to me is that Paul is not just content to leave it there. He tells us exactly what he has in mind, and that's what chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, that's what it's all about. And that's why we spend most of the time there, I think, when we study this book, because it's the part of the message that tells us what we ought to do. He tells us that our new walk isn't going to be like our old walk. I'm jumping ahead in chapter 4 to verse 17 where he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. This isn't going to be like the other path that you were following before. And then jumping ahead to chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Walk in love. And then in verse 8 it says to walk as children of light. And then he's going to draw a contrast. He's going to say, not this way, not like the old way, not like it was, but I want you to walk this way in love as children of light. And in fact, that sort of connects back, if you look, to cross-referencing to Psalm 1 because we have some those two same paths in Psalm chapter 1. There's this man who delights in the law of the Lord, and that's the path that he walks, and, and it's contrasted with a wicked man who rejects the law of the Lord, and his life doesn't prosper. It's the same contrast that we have here in Ephesians, the second half. He says to us, not that way, but this way. Look again at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He says, that's what I want you to do. But starting in verse 3, he says, But fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Not that walk, but this walk. In fact, all the way through this section, he goes back and he does this over and over again. I want you to do these things and not these things. And this is, this is how you do not walk, and this is how you do walk. Which brings us to chapter 5, verse 15, where he says, Be careful how you walk. Now we know why he says that. He's been talking about that all through the book, especially in the second half about these two paths. And so we have 
the warning, be careful how you walk. With that in front of us, what I'd like to do is take our text today and just comment on these first few verses. Be careful how you walk. There are four things that I'd like to comment on about these words. Four things that I'd like to think about as we consider this admonition, this warning to be careful about our walk. As you look at the words, the first thing that might occur to you is this, is that we have options. When he says, be careful how you walk, doesn't that imply that there are different ways to walk and you get to choose? Let's be clear about something though. My life has not been pre-programmed. I'm not living out some plan that somebody else has put in place for me. I'm not subject to some fate that is beyond my control because I really don't have any control over what happens to me. In fact, what scripture is saying is just the opposite of that is true. I choose how I'm going to walk. Isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, go back to chapter 2, verse 10. What did Paul tell us? Paul tells us that the Creator has a path in mind for you and me. There's a way that cre the Creator wants His creation to walk, but He does not make me do that. He could. He has the right to. He made me. In fact, what God could do is exert, exert the power of His will on me and you, and He can make us do exactly what He wants us to do. God could do that, but He doesn't. He lets us choose. So we have options. Well, maybe in one sense that's true. I say we have options. We really only have two options. Life comes down to one of two choices. Either I walk with God or I will not walk with God. And do you see that here in our text? Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. There are your options. Either I'll be wise in my walk or I won't. It's the same way we read in Psalms a while ago, uh, mentioned Psalms a while ago. Either I take the path of the man who delights in the law of the Lord or I take the path of the wicked man. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that it's the broad way or it's the narrow way. And he'd say again in Matthew 12, either you're with me or you're against me. It's one way or the other. And you're thinking, uh, yeah, David, uh, that's obvious. I, we get it. You, you've talked about that enough. Well, well, do we really get it? I mean, it, it may be obviously obvious, but we have the marvelous ability to cloud the obvious, I think. You know, we commit to walk with Jesus, and then we get to looking at that other path. And it's just so enticing sometimes, and we're drawn to it, and we look at it. And then looking at it, maybe we start dabbling with it. And then before you know it, we end up in this place where we have one foot squarely planted in the kingdom of God, and, and the other one is squarely planted in the other path. And it looks like we're trying to walk right down the middle of the road. At least that's the way we see it. And we think we're sort of doing both things at the same time. Well, we really need to end that myth right now. Here's the truth. If I'm walking down the middle of the road, then I am fully on the wrong path. The middle ground is just an illusion. It does not exist. And that's not because of what I believe. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 12. Either you're with me or you're against me. So if I'm not with him, if I'm not all in, then I'm on the other path. 
It might be important to add at this point that our choice and our path is not a choice that we only make one time. You know, there's a sense that we make that choice at conversion, of course. Romans 6, 4, where Paul is talking about baptism and how we rise from the water, we're, we're raised from this watery grave. And verse 4 says, to walk in newness of life. It's true that there's a commitment that we make there. But every Christian that's been a Christian more than three days knows that we're making this choice again and again, every day. That decision is followed by thousands and thousands of little decisions that are made daily, and it really tells the story of the path that we are on. And Paul talks about those, what those decisions look like in the last half of, of, uh, of Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 25, it's the choice to tell the truth or to tell a lie. In chapter 5, 25, it's the choice to love your spouse. In chapter 6, verse 12, it's the choice to respect and obey your parents. Now, the truth is, it's the choices I make every day about telling the truth or loving my wife, and if you're young and at home, about obeying your parents. And that tells the real story of which path I'm on. So, can we never mess up? Well, sure we can. We all do. We've got to add that the longer that we continue down this path, we ought to get better at making the right choices. I ought to be making better, better decisions than I was making 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago about my path. Be careful how you walk. Why? Because we have options. We choose our path, but because that's true, let me add that, that one of those options that we choose is a whole lot better than the other one. It isn't, isn't that what the verse is really telling us in verse 15? It says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Does that not imply that one of these paths is the right way and the other one is not? He gives us an ugly description of the other path in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, where it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That other path is the wrong path in every way. It's wrong because it's not what the Creator wants. You know, you have somebody in your life that has the right to tell you what to do. He made you. And if God says this is the right path, take it. End of story. Take that path. But that's not all that he tells us. When we take that other path, there's a load of grief and guilt that we suffer. Maybe not right away, but it will happen. And that's not the worst part. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the other way, the broad way, that many are traveling, where's it going? It says it leads to destruction. It's not going to end well. That path is wrong in every way. And so it shows a great contrast to the other way that Jesus offers to us and that He wants us to take. It's what the Creator wants. 
end of story. But it makes my life better in every way. You know, it's the narrow way that Jesus says it leads to life. Uh, it's better life here and now, and it leads to an eternal life with God. We're not making a choice between two equivalent choices. It's not like Ford or Chevy where you choose one and you gain some things and you lose some things and you choose the other and you gain some things and you lose some things. That's not what this one is like. To walk with Jesus is clearly right. It's the best way. Paul will tell us that it's wise and to walk without Him is unwise. It's foolish, he says. In fact, go back to Ecclesiastes for a minute. In chapter 8, notice what Solomon says about uh, this beginning in verse 11. Through verse 13, he says, Because the sentence, sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set on them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will He prolong His days, which are as a shadow, because He does not fear before God. Sometimes I wonder, really, if we believe that. You know, no matter how good it may appear, in a moment of time, the wicked man's path is not going to end well for him. And, and you've lived... A few years, if you've lived a few years, you know that uh, that's true. You know, you, if, you've, if you're old enough, you've seen it. It doesn't end well for those on the other path. And when you think about the right path, think about Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, where it talks about the righteous man being like a tree planted by streams of water. That's the life of somebody who chooses the right path. And regardless of your earthly circumstance, you will thrive spiritually and it will end well for you. And that's what God is, that's what Jesus is telling us about these two paths. It never works out well if you choose the wrong path. And, and that's hard when you watch young people and they go off to school or they go off to work and, and decide they're not going to do what their parents taught them and they're going to take a different path. You know, it isn't just the spiritual consequences which are the most important thing, but when you've lived long enough and you've observed life, you know where that's going. And it's not to a good place. Your life is not going to be better if you choose not to walk with Jesus. You know, it's not just young people. It's true for everybody. It doesn't matter what the sin is or what the specific choice is that, that, that you might uh, use to get on the other path. It's just not going to end well. I know that because that's what the Bible teaches. And most everybody here probably knows it too because we've seen it. So if that's true, then I've got options. And one of these options is a whole lot better than the other one. Then I need to consider my path. That's what he's saying in verse 15. Be careful how you walk. The choice you make about your path, it really does matter. So we have to give some thought to it. It's so important for us to consider the path that we're on. We need to think about that because there's this ever-present danger that we're going to face of getting off course. 
there's always danger that we can sort of begin to drift and slowly move toward the other path. You know, remember, it's, a, it's alluring. It looks good sometimes. And we have to be on guard. Constantly ask yourself questions like, am I drifting? Am I looking at things or doing things or saying things that don't fit what Jesus wants? Am I drifting? Be careful. And secondly, that's important because I want to be sure I'm squarely on His path. And I'm thinking back to Ephesians 2 verse 10 that we're created in Him for good works. That we should walk in them. And that's something that God wants me and you to do. He has a work in mind for us as we pass our time here on earth. Verse 16 says, make the most of your time doing the work that God has in mind for me to do. We have to ask ourselves the question, we have to ask it often, I think, am I doing those things? You know, be careful. Verse 15 says, be careful how you walk. And then as I make that assessment, I begin to figure out where I am. And the last thing I want to say is, is this. We need to own our path. Whatever it is, I need to accept that it is the path that I chose. It isn't, isn't that the logical outcome of point number one, that we have options? If I was right when I said that we have options when we choose our path, then we have to own the path that we choose. I am where I am because of me. You know, we've gotten really good at our culture to blame somebody else for our troubles. Really, it's become an art form in our society. I think my life is messed up because of what somebody else did. It's messed up because my teachers weren't fair to me. My life is messed up because of the president. You know, might as well throw him in there. It seems like everybody else did. The point is there are thousands of ways to place blame on somebody else of where I'm at. Let me tell you the sad reality about that is that you can get really good at it. You can sit at home and just think about why somebody else is to blame for your problems. And when the sun comes up the next day, you're going to still be in the middle of those problems. Finding somebody to blame isn't going to help one bit. In fact, it causes you to ignore your ownership of your own path. I want to be careful here because I'm not saying bad things don't happen to people and I don't want to minimize the pain of those who've legitimately had awful experiences, but I tell you, whatever has come my way in life, whether good or bad, at the end of the day, here's the reality. I'm going to have to decide what am I going to do with this stuff. One writer said that our life isn't, our life is the sum total of choices and their consequences. And he's right. Let's not waste one more minute looking for someone else to blame. And if I'm right and we get to choose our own path, then let's get busy making the right choice. Let's not waste one more minute grieving and blaming and complaining. Instead, say, what I'm going to do is to decide that I want something different. I want something better. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to take a different path. We have that choice. Say to yourself, I'm going to decide today that I'm going to walk with Him. And when we make that choice, life immediately 
gets better in every way. So do you need to decide, you know, don't waste another minute grieving, blaming, complaining, choose. And we want to help you do that. You need to find a better path and maybe you don't have a clue what to do. We want to help you find it. Maybe you know exactly what to do. We want to help you do it. You want to get on that path? We'll help you. Just make your way up here while we stand and sing the next song.